Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, go ahead and grab them. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 as we continue through our series in the book of 2 Peter going verse by verse. This morning we'll pick up in verse 10 of chapter 2. Well, when I was a youth pastor, we played a little game called Would You Rather? And uh, we would ask questions like, would you rather this or this? And so my question to you this morning is, would you rather be warned about things to come that are harmful or would you rather be surprised when they show up? I think most of us would say, you know, I'll take the warnings. I'd rather have the warning. Uh, So this is what Peter is doing. He's giving warning signs of apostasy. He's gone through this entire chapter giving all these warning signs about false teachers and what they do and how they wiggle their way in and how they give destructive heresies to the church and how they are really leading people away from the faith. And so he's giving these warning signs. But if, if you're like me, warning signs often go ignored. How many of us have still walked across the wet floor even though there was a wet floor sign that was sitting there, right? Maybe Surgeon General warnings. Smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and may complicate pregnancies. Do you think people heed all the Surgeon General warnings that are on everything? No? Maybe not. Well, there's a new one that came out not too long ago. A Surgeon General's advisory is a public statement that calls the American people to attention to an urgent public health issue and provides recommendations for how it should be addressed. This advisory calls attention to the growing concerns about the effects of social media on youth's mental health. Extreme, inappropriate, and harmful content continues to be easily and widely accessible by children and adolescents. This can be spread through direct pushes, unwanted content exchanges, and algorithmic designs. In certain tragic cases, childhood deaths have been linked to suicide and harm-filled or harm-related content and risk-taking challenges on social media platforms. Social media may also perpetuate body dissatisfaction disorders, eating disorders, and social comparison and low self-esteem, especially among adolescent girls. Additionally, roughly two-thirds, 64% of adolescents, are often or sometimes exposed to hate-based content. In addition, social media platforms can be sites for predatory behaviors and interactions with malicious actors who target children and adolescents, adults seeking to sexually exploit children. That was actually given out by the Surgeon General, a Surgeon General warning. Yet, often warnings go ignored. And I think as we talk about false teaching and as we talk about how Things are wiggling their way into the church. It's not just false teachers that stand on platforms, but there are all types of thoughts and things being taught in different forms and fashions these days. I I can remember where I was on January the 28th, 1986. Can you? Surely, surely you remember where you were. Some of you weren't born. So um, January the 28th, 1986, I was a second grader. I'm going to give my age here. I was a second grader sitting in Miss Ledford's class at North Lee Elementary School. And she walked up, I remember I was sitting on the left side, more towards the back of the classroom, and I was on the side of the TV, that's the good side of the classroom. And so she walked over the TV and she turned on the TV so that we could watch the, the Challenger space shuttle. Now, maybe it rings a bell where you were. That morning of January 28th, it was unusually cold. And engineers warned their superiors that certain components, particularly the rubber O-rings that seal the joints of the shuttle's solid rocket boosters were vulnerable to failure in low temperatures. However, these warnings went unheeded. And at 11.39 a.m., the Challenger lifted off. 
In the aftermath of the explosion, an investigation revealed that neither NASA's associate administrator for spaceflight nor the launch director even knew about the warnings. You see, there are warnings that are given. And Peter here is saying, listen, I need to warn you about false teaching. I need to warn you that there are those who are going to creep in unbeknownst to you, whether in music or in teaching or in social media or whatever platform it is, and they're going to teach things that go against the word of God. Because apostasy happens, and this is what we've seen. It happens when someone dilutes. They begin to water down God's word. They begin to pour other things into it so it can be more culturally relevant. Or they diminish God's word. They, they begin to diminish the authority of God's word in certain areas of their life. Or they altogether delete the word of God to justify breaking the will of God. And this is what Peter is warning about. He's warning that they were teaching people to pursue gratification over godliness. We live in a world that is pushing us to pursue gratification over godliness. And that culture has wiggled its way into the church. So it's a warning. And here we finish the warning of Peter in this chapter 2, starting in verse 10. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you'll follow along with me. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as they wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been re reserved. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves. Or for corruption, of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the warning that has been given to the church. 
to look out for false teaching. Father, I do pray that we would be a, a body of believers who are guarding the truth. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from wandering off a path, that you would keep us from having ears that are easily um, tickled by the things of this world and culture, that we would not dilute the word of God with the things of this world. We would not diminish its authority in our lives, but we would be submissive to your authority, that we would bow our knee before you as Lord of Lords, and that we would confess you as Lord of our life in every area of our life. And so, Lord, I pray that over this church, that today, as we walk through your word, that you would, you would, you would convict us in areas that we need to be convicted in, that you would show us areas that we've not been obedient in, and that you would allow us to respond in repentance, that you would allow us to respond in a way that is, that is going to glorify you with our lives, because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Warning, the apostasy of blasphemous brashness. I've got three points this morning with two subpoints under each one if you're taking notes. Warning, the apostasy of blasphemous brashness. And yes, I had to make sure all my B's are going to line up. Second Peter 2.10, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Blasphemy. This blasphemy is to be, to act, or to speak in a defiantly irreverent or rebellious way towards God. The Apostle Paul actually called himself a blasphemer. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said, listen, I was someone who was against God in Jesus Christ. He says, look, I would act in a way and I would speak in a way that was defiantly rejecting Jesus. And so this is what these blasphemers are doing. They're false teachers. Ignorantly indulge in the lust and they despise authority. So the subpoint there, false teachers ignorantly indulge in lust and despise authority. These are the two main things that we've seen produced out of their lives. MacArthur would say the false teachers identified with Christ outwardly but they would not live under his lordship. There's the major issue right here. That there are some who would claim to be Christians. They would claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life, but in actuality, the fruit that's being produced in their life is one of rebellion, one where they are resisting his lordship. The two major characteristics, he goes on to say, of false teachers are emphasized in this verse. Lust and arrogance. Lust and arrogance. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 16, we read this last week, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. The fruit that is coming out of their life would be lustful lifestyles and rebellion against authority. They are feeding their flesh, and when you feed your flesh, you produce a proud and unsubmissive heart. If you feed the flesh, you are then producing a proud and unsubmissive heart. This unsubmissive heart proudly produces an attitude, an action of self-reliant governing and self-indulging sensual behavior. Basically, the flesh produces an egotistical, arrogant, and anti-authoritarian pride that flaunts itself in a parade of indulgence through the denial of absolute truth. That's pretty lengthy, but it, it explains what's happening in the world today. That there are even some who would claim to be in Christ, but yet they are parading around, they're flaunting their rejection of his lordship in certain areas of their life. This is what's being brought in 
as destructive heresies. And it all begins with despising authority. To despise authority means to think down on it, to think against it, to think lightly of, or even to just neglect it. As I asked you, would you rather be warned about these things to come, or would you rather be surprised, there is this idea of, though warned in Scripture, sometimes we just ignore or neglect the warnings. Well, all authority is from Christ. Ephesians 1, 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He right now, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand. He's seated on the throne in heaven. And he has full lordship and authority over all things. And though this world may look like it's falling apart, and though we're watching the news and we're wondering and we're trying to interpret things and we're trying to look at things, there's one thing we can be certain of. Jesus is in complete control. He is sitting on the throne. If someone has a problem with authority... If they despise authority, they really are despising and having a problem, problem with the lordship of Christ. Who, If these people are willfully diluting and diminishing the word of God in certain areas of their life, then it's only revealing that they are guilty of denying the lordship in every area of their life. As the old saying goes, if he's not lord of all, he's not lord at all in your life. So let me put it simply. The justification of sin is a rejection of God's authority. Now that brings it a little bit closer to home. The rejection, the justification of sin is the rejection of God's authority in our life. If there's an area of sin in our life that right now, even though we claim to be followers of Christ, that we're justifying, what we're really doing is we're rejecting God's authority. And it comes in different ways, root sins and fruit sins. I don't know if you've heard of this, but there are root sins that then produce fruit sins in your life. So these root sins were to despise, to diminish, to dilute, and to delete God's ultimate authority in certain areas of the life. So they would begin to have this root of rejection, this rejection of authority, and it would then produce in them a fruit to promote or participate in a physical sinful action that you try to justify. And so you can look now today and you can see this very thing happening, that there are those who are participating and physical, sinful actions, and they're trying to justify it. And that's the fruit of the root of actually rejecting or diminishing or deleting the word of God and his authority in their life. These false teachers who claim to be followers of Jesus had this root sin of despising authority. And the fruit from that root was a justified, immoral behavior. Maybe, maybe you know this. Maybe you've experienced this. If you confess and repent of a fruit sin without ever really addressing the root of the problem, you will continue to see that fruit sprout up from time to time. Maybe, maybe you've had the same fruit sin pop up in your life, sprout up in your life over and over and over, and you're like, listen, I've prayed about this, I've repented of this, I've confessed this, and yet it keeps coming back. Well, maybe the real issue is, is that you've not dug up the root issue, which is your rejection of the full authority of God in your life. And so you're allowing there to be this disobedient root in your life that then is going to spring up and sprout all different types of, of sins in your life. 
This is where Jesus was confronting people in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's see if we justify sin. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So let me ask you, do you ever justify your anger, justify your hatred, and justify your insults of other people? Let me ask you, are you angry today? Have you spoken ill because of that anger? Well, what about, we keep reading, Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Proverbs 6, 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. But do we justify lust? Do we justify it with a look-but-don't-touch attitude? Do we justify sexual, immoral relationships outside of the bed of marriage? Do we do this because we've poured in what the culture and what cultural acceptance and feelings have told us to do, and we've poured that into the Word of God, so now we've diluted the Word of God so that we don't even feel guilty for for going against His Word in this? What about 1 Timothy 6.10? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, It is through the cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do we justify materialism? Do we love money? Do we serve idols? Do we have these things that we placed in front of Jesus that are more important than us? See, the justification of sin is the rejection of God's authority and lordship in our life. And if you do it in one area, you're really doing it in all areas. Oswald Chambers said the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. The suspicion that what God says is not really good for me. It's the suspicion that it it doesn't really fulfill me if I follow it. It's the suspicion that I will not be fully satisfied, therefore it must not be good. That is to arrogantly say, I think I know better than God's word. False teachers be ignorantly blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is difficult. This is a difficult section of Scripture. Boldful and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. This is the fruit of being flippant towards spiritual matters. This is the idea of being flippant or to discredit the power of the demonic and its effects on your life. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There's a war that is going on. There's a spiritual war that is being fought right now. The enemy is looking to attack you. He's looking to attack the church, and he attacks the church by isolating individuals. Have you ever seen a lion that isolates the the weakest of the, the, whatever, the gazelles, I guess. I don't know, whatever they're attacking. And so they'll get the weakest gazelle off to the side, and they'll attack it. There's the only animal I can think of off the top of my head. So we should be sober-minded, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. They are seeking 
to devour you. Whereas, verse 11, angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. They know not to give an opportunity to the devil, Ephesians 4.27. So here, Peter is saying the good angels, though more powerful and mighty than humans, Understand that they need to be wary of saying things and doing things that might cause them to be susceptible to evil influence in their life. Did you get that? Good angels that are even more powerful than we are are weary. They're leery of allowing things into their life. So let me ask, what are you arrogantly opening yourself up to that comes from an attitude of being flippant towards the spiritual forces and demonic influences that could cause the enemy to gain a foothold in your life? I'm not saying that everything we watch is evil. I'm not saying that these fantasy books and stories and movies are demonic. I'm not even that type of person. I'm not going to classify myself as a legalist. I think many of you who know me know that that's not how I tend to believe or act or speak or, or teach. I tend to laugh at people who are legalistic and hypersensitive about things uh, on my own. I try not to make that a public laughter, but I kind of hold that in. I'm simply pointing out the fact that we can become flippant. We can become arrogant enough in our spiritual fortitude that we think that we are above the influences of certain shows, movies, games, and even social media accounts that honestly are opportunities for spiritual warfare and demonic oppression in our lives. So shortly after we got married, my beautiful wife, Abby, and I, we got a great gift. It was a whole box of VHS movies. Yeah, I mean, it was great. And in that box of VHS movies was the 1973 movie, The Exorcist. Some of you, you may have seen it. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it, okay? So I thought, it's probably this time of year, I thought, you know, it's time for a scary movie. Let's put this, let's put this VHS tape in. And so we put the tape in, and we began to watch the movie. And it wasn't long into this movie that I was like, nope, this, nope, not watching that. That's scary. That's, I was thinking, this is the 70s. It's not going to be scary. They... They didn't have like special effects back then. This will be fine. No, this is, this is just straight up evil. So I, I took it out and we stopped watching it. And I put it back in its sleeve and I walked over and I threw it in the trash. Sat down and I was like, nope. So I went out and I grabbed the trash and I took it to the outside trash can. <laughs> put it in the trash can. Came back inside and I was like, nope. So I went outside and I wheeled the trash can all the way to the end of the road. And I was like, let's get that thing as far away from here as possible. You know, the, the thing is... As John MacArthur says, anytime you despise or speak lowly or degradingly or minimize the power of Satan and his fallen angels, that's a foolish act. Speaking against those glorious beings is elevating yourself to a level you really don't belong on. I would be remiss to not point out that Jude in 8 and 9 also says this, yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, there's a lot here, but the gist is, is that Jude is going to compare the behavior of an, apost- an apostate with that of the archangel Michael. Jude, Jude describes this historical event that is really not described anywhere else in Scripture. You know, Deuteronomy records the death of Moses and explains that God was in charge of the funeral, but we didn't get any of these details in that account. But what we do know is that the archangel Michael, according to Revelation, is powerful enough to cast Satan out of heaven. 
but he's not willing to speak out of turn. He's not willing to even use words that would be evil because he knows it gives a foothold for the enemy. We are not to elevate ourselves or to be flippant about the glorious ones. There's a warning about lust. There's a warning about being arrogant. So here's the next one. Warning. The apostasy of beastly baboons. Told you I was keeping with the bees here. Beastly baboons. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheme about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. These beastly baboons, as we see here, false teachers ignorantly and insatiably act like creatures of instinct. They begin to remove reason. They begin to ignorantly remove the things that they know, the warning signs that have been given, and they begin to just follow their natural instincts. John Calvin says, To walk after the flesh is to be given up to the flesh, like brute animals who are not led by reason and judgment, but have the natural desire of their flesh as, they, as their chief guide. These irrational animals, these false teachers, are characterized by instinct rather than by reason. They don't think, they don't reason, they just act. False teachers come into the church and they talk the talk of a believer. They claim, they claim to believe in steep, deep spiritual and biblical understandings of things, but the reality is their cravings are guiding their life more than God's word is, is guiding their life. Listen, if, if you are someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and your cravings, your physical cravings are determining the decisions that you make more than God's word is, that's a warning. You're like an animal. You're behaving like a wild animal. It, it reminds me of those people who like to have exotic animals as, pant, as pets, right? You, you know this? Like they go and get a giant snake out of the Amazon, and they're like, let's take it home. Or they bring alligators from Florida back up to Tennessee where they don't belong. You know, they're like, it's a pet. I'll raise it. It'll love me. I'll, I'll domesticate it. I'll make it love me. It reminds me of the lady, uh, Carla Nash, in 2009, who the chimpanzee pet, 200-pound uh, pet, pet cham chimpanzee, that's hard to say, <laughs> turned on her and brutally attacked her, mauling her face and her hands. Do you remember this story? She had to have all this reconstructive surgery. It was just awful. And yet, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the people who have these pets are always trying to convince us that they're safe. They're safe. They're gentle. They're just gentle giants with giant fangs, right? This is the false teachers who have worked their way into the church. They are they are like wild animals that we're allowing to be in the midst of the church body. And we think they're safe, but they can't be trusted. They are not to be allowed opportunities to teach. They are not to be given opportunities to influence, to serve in areas of children's ministry and student ministry in particular. They are not allowed to be around children because they will violently teach them to follow instincts and cravings rather than God's word. And they may not say it with their mouths in the church, but they'll demonstrate it with their lives. And that's what they're teaching. We need to be on guard with who we allow to have spiritual influence in our lives. We need to be aware of what our kids are listening to, what they're watching, what social media accounts they're scrolling. We don't want wild animals remaining in our homes. Paul Washer 
says this, when a young person says that they have converted but only has fellowship with unbelievers, only wants to be with unbelievers, and acts as an unbeliever, it's because they are an unbeliever. A true born-again person will love the church believers. Listen, there are some that are false teachers. They claim to have fellowship with Christ. They claim to be converted, but all they want to do is hang out with unbelievers. All they want to do is be with unbelievers. All they want to do is act like an unbeliever. Well, there's a reason. They may have said that they made a decision, but they're still an unbeliever. Suffering, verse 13, wrong. As the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. The principle is that sin always brings destruction. We know this. These irrational, animalistic behaviors destroy people's lives. People who are following after their cravings for pleasure are really wrecking their lives. If this is you, you will not find happiness. You will not find joy. You will not find lasting pleasure. You will not find security, and you will not find love. Instead, you will find unhappiness. You will be miserable in your decisions. You will be unsatisfied with the results. You will be insecure, always thinking there's something more. You will be desperately searching for the next fix and never finding it because it's a physical craving rather than God's word leading your life. Next, these false teachers ignorantly affect the purity of the church. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Peter now writes that they, they're so bold, bold and willful that they flaunt their sin in the daytime. They're not even trying to hide it. And now they're moving into the church loud and proud with the sins that they've committed. It's... It's like you buy a brand new white shirt. Brand new white. It's never going to be, you know when you take it out of the, the package, it's never going to be that white again, right? You, that's the one time you're going to wear it, and that's, it's going to be good. There's no yellow dinginess to it. It's like taking out that white shirt and putting it on, and before you even make it to the, the party or the thing, the event you're going to, you spill something all over it. It's a, it's a blemish. It's a stain, The bride of Christ has been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And though we are not sinless, we are blameless. His righteousness has been imputed to us. And as we gather together as the body of believers, we gather together worshiping Jesus Christ and longing for him to produce in us a godliness that we're not capable of. We want to be pure. We want to be uh, holy like he is holy. We want to pursue those things. But as we allow people with open sins to come into the church, it is a stain on the church. There are churches who have walked away from the faith and they are a blemish to what it means to be called a Christian. He's saying here that while they feast with you in reference to the Lord's Supper, there's two ordinances of the church, baptism and Lord's Supper. Baptism being the first sign that is reserved for true believers. The baptism being the initial act of being identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you are a believer and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not walked through the waters of baptism, you need to come talk to me today because that is the first initial sign that says, I am his. I am buried with Christ and I am risen to newness of life. I am dead in my old ways and I have been fully redeemed by his 
gracious blood. And so that is the first sign. Well, the second sign is an ongoing sign. It's one of the Lord's Supper. So as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So those who are in Christ partake of Christ. And it is a visible sign that I am his. And we do that, and we do it with a proper motive. So 1 Corinthians 11, 26 through 29. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without dis- discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's a, there's a time where we are called to repent before partaking of the Lord's Supper. As a church, it is our goal to move forward in, in observing the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of every month, and then in December to observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday of that month. And as we do that, it gives us an opportunity to say, listen, I'm not boldful and will, willfully coming in with sin in my life, but I am now confessing it before you because I want to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. As Warren Wearsby says, Christian love does not mean that we tolerate every false doctrine and every so-called lifestyle. The Bible makes it clear that some things are right and some things are wrong. No Christian whose belief and behavior are contrary to the word of God should be permitted to share in the Lord's Supper or to have a spiritual ministry in the church. It's a high call for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. The final warning this morning, warning the apostasy of Balaam's behavior. The apostasy of Balaam's behavior, picking up halfway through verse 15. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. False teachers ignorantly go back and forth like Balaam. Balaam is the classic picture of someone who is riding the fence spiritually. Uh, He's got one foot in the church and one foot in the world trying to do just enough to please God and just enough to satisfy the flesh. Beware of a behavior that is that is straddling the fence. Beware of a behavior that keeps one foot in the church and one foot in the world. It's an interesting story. It's, it's a great story where a donkey speaks with a human voice. And, you know, we like to say if God can speak through a donkey, I guess he can speak through me. We like to say things like that. Um, and there's some truth to that, I guess. But Peter, you know, he's trying to give us the, the lesson of there was a guy by the name of Balaam who, who wasn't all in. Uh, the story... If you're, if you're reminded, he was a prophet on the surface. He claims uh, that he won't say or do anything unless God permits it. But he was a cunning, self-seeking man who used his prophetic powers to line his own pocket. When God wouldn't let him curse Israel as the Moabites king wanted him to do, he instead advised the king to get his women to seduce the Israelite men. That's why he's compared to a false prophet. Because he was playing the game. He said, I claim to be with God, but I'm also going to lead people astray. Beware of being a Balaam. Don't fall prey to the apostasy of being with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Don't play the game because it leads to destruction. These are, verse 17, waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud, boast of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. 
For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. False teachers ignorantly become worse than their previous state. Maybe you're aware of this. You've seen this happen. Man, they used to be... They used to be in the church. They used to be serving. They used to be doing this, but you've seen the steady decline of sin creep into their lives, and now they may even be denouncing their faith in Jesus Christ. They become worse off, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly, Proverbs 26, 11. Interestingly, that was the very first verse I ever preached on. <laughs> I just liked it, so I thought, that's a great verse. Let's uh, use it. Uh, this verse really shows that how disgusting it is to go back to your sinful lifestyle. Just that you would choose to not feed on the bread of life, but you would choose to go and feed on regurgitated sin. That's how it speaks. And so they're, they're worse off if they leave the righteousness of God. They leave what they know and they go back to it. What does this mean? Well, it means that a person has heard the gospel, has had some experience of the Christian life, and it'll be more difficult to restore them to true knowledge of Jesus because they will have a, I've been there and done that mentality, and it didn't work. It also may be worse for them because these people have been exposed to the truth, but they turn their backs on it to pursue their own sinful lust. That seems horrible, that they would have the freedom from sin at their fingertips, but then would go back into slavery. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty one through 24, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it, would have, they, it wouldn't have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. These are the words of Christ. As I close this morning, I want to remind you that Peter is calling a church to beware of the warning signs. He's calling a church to pursue a life of godliness and holiness. He's calling a church to run from wickedness and perversion. He's warning the believers to be on the lookout for false teachers and to examine themselves and what they are falling prey to. He warns them to leave destructive heresies and stop giving the enemy a foothold in their life. When God saves you, he changes you. He imparts new life to you so that your desires change. You now love God and you seek to please him. You want to grow to know him. You want to grow to love his word. You become someone who hates sin and you strive to live against it. In other words, genuine saving faith always results in a life growing in godliness and towards obedience to Christ. 
If that is not your experience, if you are more driven by carnal appetites than want to feed on evil, sensual, immoral, greedy behaviors, and you try to justify them by having one foot in the church and one foot outside of the church, you may need to go back to the very beginning and ask God to change your heart. 